0: Our reading today is from Galatians 1 verse 11 to chapter 2 verse 10. I will signpost that it is a longer reading than you're probably used to these last two weeks but I do feel that taking the whole of this section of Galatians is the right thing to do and I'm not going to go into great detail about every single word and verse and saying that's in here but I am hoping to cover some of the main themes that come through this particular section. So here it is, Galatians one eleven. The word of God, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently, and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem, to those who were apostles before me but i went away into arabia and returned again to damascus then after three years i went up to jerusalem to visit cephas peter and remain with him 15 days but i saw none of the other apostles except james the lord's brother In what i'm writing to you before god i do not lie then i went into the regions of syria and cilicia And I was still unknown in the person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield into submission for even a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And when James and Peter and John who seemed to be the pillars perceived the grace that was given to me they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do. Amen. And may God add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Lord as we spend longer in Galatia with your people. We grow in understanding of your grace. And your power contained within this gospel of your son. Father keep in our minds this journey we are individually making. We pray that God. We pray in thanks O God. For Paul. We thank you for the saints who have come after him. As they went out into the world. So do we go out into the world. Help us use these passages to learn more about being your apostles. Help us yearn more f- to help us yearn to be more like Paul. Help us reach into the corners and into the chaos of this age with the hope that is in Christ. Bless these my words, O God, according to the gift of your grace, which was given to me according to the working of your power. This grace was given to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Amen. It's not very often I'll turn down an autobiography. They're one of my favourite genres of book to read because I love learning about how other people do things. Other people's thought processes and how those relate to how people actually respond to the world around them. There are probably about millions and millions of resources when it comes to autobiographies but I did have a look and show that and it shows that there's 129 million books worldwide that figure presented by a research team to Google Books when they set out with the task of creating the largest online library resource in the world and there is an estimated from that 21 million autobiographies generally those are 21 million individual people across the years having written individual stories When you think about it that way, there must be an awful lot to learn about other people. But I think it wouldn't take 120 million books to make you aware that in your lifetime you will never get through even 10% of them. Most of us would be lucky to get through even 1%. The autobiography is an important outlet for the ex-politician or the celebrity or a person with significance to give you their account of what happened in a situation or why they became famous. The old rags to riches story. It may be autobiographies like that of American presidents or prime ministers or monarchs that give you the greatest insight into their world and in some way present justification for any decision or impact they had whilst in office. The reason it's important to look firstly at the significance of autobiographies when looking at these quite substantial verses that we've just read is that they give us very clear insight into the Apostle Paul and how he's in the position he is in or rather what he desires us to know about why he's doing what he's doing. Having spent the last two days in Galatia I think we pretty much get the gist of what we're dealing with here. And we know the type of challenges that were involved for the Apostle. In the verses we read we get much closer to examining the reasons for Paul being who he is. Why he's in this privileged position and what his aims and objectives are. So brace yourself, we're going to delve into Paul's immediate past. We're going to go on tour with him right from here he started Right up to the present day standing outside the church with you in Galatia. Today's today's reading was really long. So as I said before I'm not going to dissect every chapter and verse. But I do want to pull out some significant themes. Some significant themes sorry for you to think about as a Christian. And as an apostle of Christ yourself. And some of these things and I don't want to stick to headings. But I'm going to look at why truth matters. And also some of the lessons of your first life which should encourage you as a born again again Christian. But before we go on I think it's important to say that the point we talked about last week. The overriding theme for the book is being saved by grace. So the Galatians, the epistle to the Galatians is generally about being saved by grace. And the very important fact as we looked at last week. That there is no other gospel. Not a single gospel exists outside gospel of Jesus. There it is in this book, grace and the gospel. They are as one. Those are the two main focuses of Paul in the entire letter. So what we're going to look at only helps define those two things. We can't actually read Galatians or preach Galatians without focusing entirely on grace and on the fact, the very important fact, that there is no other gospel in existence except this one. And what we'll actually do is we'll try to, I will try to use them as a lens through which we can look at these passages. You'll need that assistance because I did. Off topic, I was thinking of skipping these whole, these, this whole section, and since last Thursday, since I uploaded my last sermon, I've read over them and over them and over them again in my head, and I've been praying for help to understand them. I think I've been given the reason for them. And it requires some concentration so you'll need your Bibles. And as I said earlier, generally I would never not take up the task of reading an autobiography. But I almost did with this one. And that's clearly Satan on my shoulder. Trying to keep us away from the truth. So here goes. As I said, it would be really handy if you could go through your Bible with me on this one. Um, We've read from chapter 1 verse 11 to chapter 2 verse 10. It's quite a big section. When I read it, The first thing that stood out to me was how similar verse 1 and verse 12 actually are. It's like a reinforced defending of his apostleship again. We're reminded again that Paul's apostleship is not from man and his gospel is not from man. Actually, it's very much on the contrary. The gospel Paul is preaching is from the risen Christ, very much more than a man but no less, had commissioned our apostle and had planned to reveal the gospel to him Long before he was born. Now that's the first intense reminder before we begin. We need to be aware of that before we can actually start looking at this. Paul is from God. And Paul was from God before he was born. And actually I was speaking to a brother in Christ on Sunday after our evening service. And he made an interesting point that I think really reinforces that. If you look at Colossians 1, which was Paul's letter to the Colossian churches, it says as an introduction, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And then in 1 Timothy, the apostle Paul, by the command of God. Paul is doing this not out of his own choice. This man just let the command for light when the world was in darkness. And just like the command to create humans and animals, this is the will of God that brought life into this man to teach him the good news of the gospel. He was ordained by God from the highest command, he was ordained. That's very important to know. The further we read into these verses, we get the sense that Paul is on the defensive, though. So he has that backing. He knows that he's from God. He was commanded by God and he's doing the will of God. And yet he's here being defensive. The modern minister or preacher will instruct you correctly to examine all the epistles of Paul as letters from a minister to his congregations. And that's right. Generally you should look at these letters as a, a minister responding to his congregation. But you get the sense that he's compelled to defend himself all the time in this one. I find it really difficult to get past that. And what we've recognised already though is that there are people in Galatia determined to pervert the gospel. And in order to change it, they need to discredit him. They needed to discredit Paul's gospel. The gospel that Paul was preaching, that he was given by Christ. They need to make him out to be a fake or a liar or a cheat. Read on further in Galatia and you'll see that it's very much a group of people trying to align the Christian gospel with the traditions of the Old Testament. Since basically they talk a lot about circumcisions. If you skip over the page to chapter 5 verse 2. And some of the ceremonial Judea laws. Chapter 4 verse 10 for example. These are just two examples of a lot of them. That are in this book. A book to the Galatians. Now they're probably from Jerusalem. And a number of them will likely hold John and James and Peter as their authority. You'll see that's why he mentions that he's. Been given the right hand of fellowship by those three pillars of the faith that's why in verse 1 of Romans Paul states he was set apart for the gospel this was his ordained future I really keep to, having to repeat that because that's so important when we, we examine Paul through any letter that he's written that he is set apart for the gospel to the Gentiles as Peter was set apart for the gospel to the circumcised Now let's look at what some of the gospel changers were saying at the time. So Galatians 6.12 It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that would compel you to be circumcised and only in order that it may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. It was easier to be circumcised than it was to be dead to the world and crucified with Christ. In other words... Their version of the gospel was very much according to man and it catered to the self-assertive and self-defiant yearnings of the flesh, the typical people you would probably find with the Pharisees. So have a think for a moment. What Paul is doing is what we should be doing. We should be the kind of church or the kind of Christian that places the importance of truth at the forefront of our daily life. Almost everywhere there's opinions of how to do things better, like we mentioned last week. But really the gospel is central to what we do. We need to keep that focused. And keep that above all things at the forefront of our lives. Now when you're in court and you're stating your case. Let's say one side in our text here is the apostle and his gospel. And the other side is the Jewish Christians we've been talking about in some of the Galatian churches. And their gospel. Both are vying for your attention here. And it's truly important that you give it. It's a matter of life and death, in fact. If you hope in the wrong thing here. So what does Paul do? Does he just present the fact like we've seen? That he's an impossible and Jesus made him an impossible and that's it? Or should he give evidence to back it up? Any sane person who stands in a court will have evidence. You only need to tune into Judge Judy. To see how much emphasis is placed on providing photos and tangible truths to what you're saying. Evidence is all that matters sometimes. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here in this part of this letter. He'll go on and he'll list his actions, his autobiography of coming to the current position of apostle. And he relishes in it with great and specific detail. He makes a stand very eloquently to tell you of his past. Being open and honest. Totally transparent with the court. He's showing you he's trustworthy. He's not a liar. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. That is common ground I should say. Because remember he is speaking to Jewish Christians. How I persecuted the church of God violently. And tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. Paul ravaged the church. If you look at Acts 9. Verse 1. It says Paul was breathing out threats and murder. This is the man we're dealing with. The gospel threatened Paul. Here comes along Jesus and pulls everything that Paul believed. And remember he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee of the highest order. You know he was as he says, beyond many of his own age and his people. The traditions he'd grown up with were getting thrown out the window, tossed like they didn't matter to these so-called Christians. And to him at the time, it felt like complete disregard and disrespect for the Jewish faith. You know, you think about your faith. It's the very reason you're alive. That's exactly how Paul felt with his faith. So we have to be sympathetic to that. That... The very reason he was alive was at stake because of Christianity. And so therefore he went out and decided to destroy it with all his might. Now friends, that's an interesting concept there too actually. There are forces in the world desperately trying to destroy the gospel. I always get excited that there's these biblical documentaries on television that might reveal more about God to me or, you know, they've had some evidence found or something's happened and they've had this revelation. And then it turns out to be a whole hour of trying to prove that God doesn't exist or that there were some great secret group plotting to hide secrets about Jesus. This is designed to attempt, it's designed by the world, to attempt to destroy the gospel at full pelt, to discredit it, just like the Galatians were trying to do with Paul. You get to the point if you're like me and you're wondering what of the, what was the point of this quite ugly story of Paul's conversion why did he why did he need to go into this amount of detail with the galatians paul ties up the verses pointing out how he completely astonished or sorry completely astonished others by his conversion that in itself helped others glorify god and it's the same sort of feeling behind the i am astonished part at the beginning it was totally surprising to him and totally unbelievable, and it was totally surprising to others and totally unbelievable. But it was so amazing at what this amazing change that had taken place that he It was God was glorified through it. I will not know, I was. I was still not known by sight to the churches of Christ in Judea, as in he was never seen by them. They only had heard him, but they were saying, "He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy." And they went and they glorified God because of that. From persecutor to preacher. And friends, I think the pinnacle and the ultimate truth here is this. There is no person, no situation, no enemy, no act, nothing that is outside the grace of him whose son came to die for us. His blood covers everything, absolutely everything. It is the most unbelievable fact of the Christian life. And Paul is absolutely the perfect example. God also picks the least likely among the Gentiles here. Paul is the least likely person that you would have thought would have been carrying the gospel to the Gentiles. But God's proving a point. Look at the Beatitudes and you get a sense of what God's kingdom looks like. The pastor or deaconess at my church recently The other week said when she was starting to look at the beatitudes, she said she could preach a sermon on every individual beatitude, and that's so true because they're so simple yet so complex. They turn the world on its head. God picks the weak, like you and me. He picks the underdog. He picks the wandering sheep and the prodigal son. He turns the seed. He grows the fruit. God works in tiny ways. For big outcomes, and so with Paul. You know, Paul was chipping away at these churches. This wasn't some automatic thing that happened over a short period of time. You know, this was a few years, certainly, that Paul had to do this travelling and constantly talking to people and constantly sharing the gospel. It was his life's work. When such a transformation happens to you, it's incumbent upon you based on these methods and the verses to be able to give an answer to any criticisms or any questions that you have from other people. It's necessary for you being one with Christ to be able to tell as well as show your life and faith to others. 1 Peter 3.15 In your hearts you revere Christ as Lord. You revere him. Your heart is for Christ. So therefore always be prepared to give an answer. To anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In other words, explain it to us. Tell us why you're so different. Tell us why things, you, you, you say things that we don't understand. Tell us why you still believe in a God when people are dying all over the world and there's earthquakes and there's tornadoes and there's typhoons. Tell us why you still have a faith. And do it with gentleness and respect. When you are in Christ, expect these questions from non-Christians, brothers and sisters. Perhaps who want to prove you wrong, maybe. But also from those who are just curious about your transformation. And they want to know more about your Lord. Let's have, a, have a, If you have a look at some of the ways that Jesus was questioned. You know it's very interesting when in Luke 20 he's in the temple courts. And the chief priests come to him saying they say. Tell us by what authority you're doing these things. Now Jesus being infinitely more wiser than Paul. Doesn't answer them or give an autobiography. Of why he has this authority. He simply responds. I will also ask you a question. Is John the Baptist from heaven? For us in Galatia, Jesus is really asking us the gospel Paul preaches. Is it from heaven or is it from man? And he's asking us that question directly. Close your eyes. He's His face is in front of you. You can feel his breath on your nose. He's asking you that question as though you were right next to him. Based on the testimony you've heard and the word you've studied, what would your answer be? The chief priests in Luke, you can read on, they decided to neither answer nor not answer the question just in case they were brought into disrespute. with either answer. They weren't really wanting to, to stay in one side or the other. But friends, we don't come to Christ because we've got a question to ask him. Our relationship is not that we have to exchange our questions for salvation. God doesn't need to answer your questions to give you grace. That's the point. It's free. This is not some penultimate universal dragon's den where you have to sell yourself and how good a Christian you might be in order to get grace. What it is though is a time for us to get serious with God. That's what Paul's autobiography is here. He's showing you. In fact, no he isn't. He's screaming to you that the authority of the gospel, the gospel that saves you through grace and faith in Jesus, is from God and not from men. And that truth matters. Amen.